So uh, we're starting this series, The Five Dysfunctions of a Family. Um, essentially, what we're going to be looking at over the next five weeks is five of the most common pitfalls that produce unhealthy family relationships, and then what the biblical principles are to answer these problems. Because uh, I don't know if you have noticed, but families have problems. Families have lots of problems. And it requires to remove those problems following the Bible. Why would you follow the Bible? Because the Bible is God's word. God's the one that created families. So it only makes sense to go to the creator to try to get instructions on how to do things the way that he designed them. <clears throat> See, in our life, there's a lot of things that we want to do and we try to do, but if we don't follow the right rules, it's just not going to work. I mean, like, just imagine, you're, you're on the way here to church this morning, and you decide, you know, yesterday was International Talk Like a Pirate Day. Maybe today, I'm just going to be British. And because I'm going to be British, I'm going to drive on the left side of the road. And everybody else must move over. Can you imagine the problems that would come from that? And I also apologize for the problems of my poor British accent. But can you imagine if you decided, I don't want to play by these rules? Problems. Destruction and maybe a little bit of dysfunction. Because it's not functioning the correct way, the proper way. And unfortunately, most families in the world, in all of humanity, they are not following the right rules. They are not playing by the way and the function that God has designed. And so what we're going to look is at some of these problems. And today, what we're going to do is kick things off because dysfunctional families have poor priorities that produce problems. And so we're looking at priorities today. Oh, Josh, I think I've got my priorities pretty well in order. I think I can figure things out pretty well. Yeah, I would say you're probably wrong. You see, there's this old saying that you don't know what you don't know. And if we travel back in time to this man, Henry Ford, that came out with something that people wanted, they didn't realize that they actually wanted an automobile. Henry Ford is famously quoted as saying, if I had asked people what they really wanted, they would have said faster horses. You people didn't think about what could be. They only looked at what is and how do we make what is work. And unfortunately in our lives, that's what we're doing. And with our families, that's what we're doing. We're looking at the present situation and we're just trying to figure out how to move things around. And maybe if I try this and maybe if I try that, all of a sudden these problems will go away. And yet the problem is actually your priorities because your priorities are wrong. And that's why there are problems in your family. That's why the church as a whole, being the family of God, has so many problems. Because the church's priorities are wrong. We're not putting first things first. We've got everything out of whack. 
We're going to do the Bible today, and we're going to look at a bunch of Scripture. And so if you've got it, I want you to jump in straight to Luke chapter 14. And we're going to look at this, and I'm going to show you how this problem that even Jesus faced right out the gate is the same problem that we're facing here today. And it's a problem with the church as a whole having poor priorities. And so if you look at Luke chapter 14, I want to read verse 25 through 33. Luke chapter 14, verse 25. Now great multitudes went with him. Let's just stop right there for a second. Great multitudes. Do you remember how many disciples Jesus had? This isn't a trick question. Twelve. But great multitudes went with him. But he only had twelve disciples. Really, there were only 12 people that followed him, although there was a great multitude that went with him. Why? Well, the great multitude wanted to see what Jesus was going to do. The great multitudes, they wanted an experience. The great multitudes wanted to be wowed. Maybe if we show up at Jesus' service today, we're going to see the dead rise. Maybe he's going to turn the water into wine at this event. Maybe he's going to spit in that clay, slap it on a blind man's face, and all of a sudden he's going to see. Maybe Jesus is going to open the ears of the deaf and open the mouth of the, the mute. Maybe that's what he's going to do today. You see, they came for what they were going to get out of it. Jesus' disciples, they just came to follow him. In the church today, this is what happens. As a pastor... I've heard this numerous times. All of the excuses that people make for not coming to church or leaving a church and going to another church. Well, you know what? Pastor just preaches too much on this thing and I need more of that thing. Well, you know what? We don't have a program for my kids. Well, you know what? I don't like that kind of music. Did you know that that pastor preaches in a t-shirt and jeans and he wears sneakers? What happened to his suit and tie? Yes, all of those are ones that I have personally heard of people that made excuses for not coming or for leaving. And yet they're just like these multitude that went with Jesus but didn't follow Jesus. You see, their priorities were wrong, and it just created more problems because they were looking for, what am I going to get out of this? And Jesus, he responds to them. He looks at them, this great multitude in verse 25. Verse 26, he turns and says to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. (laughs) Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man has begun to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for conditions of peace. 
so likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Cannot be my disciple. So for those that are listening online, hearing this message, and you're thinking, well, I'm not a Christian. Guess what? You're off the hook. You don't have to hate your family. You don't have to hate your own life. You don't have to follow Jesus. You don't have to bear your own cross because, well, you're not a Christian. You don't have to abide by these rules. But for those of us that call ourselves Christians, guess what? This is what the Lord requires. He is calling all of us to be disciples. And he is calling us to forsake everything and follow him. But he's saying that we've got to make sure if we're doing this, if we're going to go down this path, we're considering some things. We're taking into consideration the process. We're taking into consideration the uh, what am I looking at? The, the process is what we need to look at. We need to look at the price that it's going to cost us. And then we need to look at the prize that is laid up for us. These are the considerations. The process, the price, the prize. The process, there is a right way of doing things and there is a wrong way of doing things. There is our way of doing things and then there is God's way of doing things. Simon Sinek, an author of one of my favorite books, Start With Why, he said this in the book, passion alone can't cut it. For passion to survive, it needs structure. A why without a how has little probability of success. I mean, people will sit there and say, okay, well, why are you a Christian? Oh, because I love Jesus and he loves me. So how are you a Christian? What? I mean, I am. Um, how? It's that old saying that if a charge was brought against you, if you were brought to court, and the charge against you was being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to actually convict you? How you're living your life, does it actually show that you're a Christian? And most people think, well, I'm, I'm doing all these activities. That's obviously it. <laughs> Jesus is saying, no, if you're putting all of these activities and all of these things before me, that doesn't cut it. It doesn't cut it. Logan, come over here and help me with this. I want you guys to kind of look at this as a little bit of an illustration, if you will. Imagine that we have all of these things in our life. There's all of these things that we have that we're doing, that we're wanting to do, and we're filling things up. So we're filling things up with, you know, I don't know, the, the time we spend on Facebook, the time we're spending on Instagram, Twitter, watching Netflix, make that Disney Plus, the time that we're just chatting, reading, all of that stuff. And this stuff isn't necessarily bad, but it's just the stuff that we do. And then we have these essential things. 
I mean, these are the essential things. These are the non-negotiables. It's stuff like going to work. It's stuff like going to school, like eating, sleeping, going to the bathroom, oil change, doing your taxes, doctor visits. You know, all the stuff that you have to do and there's just no way of getting around it. And then, well, we've got, you know, time with our family and going to church and, you know, our, our small groups and serving others and we can't forget about our hobbies, right? But then we got our relationship with Jesus that's supposed to be bigger than everything else, right? But the problem is it doesn't fit the way we're doing it. It doesn't work. You see, Jesus is telling us if you really want to follow him, there's a better way of doing this. He's saying that this other way is you need to put first things first. So you need to sit there and say, my relationship with Jesus is the most important thing. And then after Jesus, okay, we've got family and we've got work and we've got school and we've got taxes and we've got, you know, that stuff that the, is the essentials. Then... More stuff. Don't forget those oil changes, those doctor visits, all of that that fits in there. And only then do we start to go back at Netflix and, and Hulu Plus and ESPN and we're watching Sunday football, go Vikings. But then all of a sudden you notice that when you put things in the right order, they not only fit, but there's room left over. And there's room left over for things that God really wants to give us and really wants to take us through. Stephen Covey said that too many of us spend too much time on what is urgent and not enough time on what is important. You can take that away. And that's what we're doing. We're not thinking about the path. Just drag it. We're not thinking about the path that we have to take. We're not thinking about the process that is required for us to live as Christians. We're not thinking about the fact that God comes first. And unfortunately, dysfunctional families don't put God first. They say they do, and their why is it's all about God. And, and you'll walk into their house, and they've got you know Joshua 24, 15 on the wall. As for me in this house, we will serve the Lord. But how they actually do that is not putting him first, it's making him an afterthought. That relationship with Jesus isn't becoming a priority, and it's not becoming at the top of that priority list. Jesus is no longer number one. He's number 32 at best. Because we've got all of these other things. I mean, you know I have got to spend my time on Facebook arguing about politics. I just have to do it. You know that's what I've got to do. And next time I'm at the grocery store, oh, you know I have to spend an extra five minutes there gossiping about what's been going on in our community. That's just something I got to do. And let's not talk about, you know, all of these families, the reality television, and how much time we spend watching others and looking at what others are doing when we're failing to actually look at what we're supposed to be doing. Our priorities are wrong. 
And because our priorities are wrong and we're not putting them in the right place, all it's doing is creating more problems for us. And so Jesus is telling us, hey, there's a process of doing this. You came with me, but you may not want to follow me. Because if you follow me, that means it's my way. I'm the one calling the shots. You don't get to change the path. You don't get to change the direction. That's why he says in verse 33, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. And of course, people look at this and they're like, oh, you mean, I mean, I've got to hate my father and mother. I've got to hate my wife, my, my husband, my children. He's not saying that like you're thinking and you're trying to put a meaning behind his words that wasn't there. What he's saying is if you love them more than me, you're doing it wrong. I should be your everything. I should be your number one. Not even you yourself should be before me. Stop thinking about, well, you know what? I just don't want to go to that church because they don't have all the programs for me. Jesus is sitting here trying to slap us upside the head and saying, wake up. It's not about you. I mean, how many times have you guys heard me when we come here to church? I'm saying, this is about us ministering to the Lord. That's what we're here for. We're here to worship him. We're here to praise Him. We're here to get instruction from His Word that draws us closer to Him. It's not about us. It's about Him. That is the process that it takes. So we not only need to consider the process, we need to consider the price that it's going to cost us. We need to consider the price. And, and what is Jesus saying the price is? Everything. And hey, newsflash. It's going to cost you everything. <laughs> there, it may even cost you your life. Yeah, that's one of these messages today. It may cost everything for you to truly be a disciple of Christ. And you've got to be okay with that. That's why he's telling us, he's like, you need to consider the cost. He's saying, look at this. Imagine if somebody's going to build I mean, who is actually going to build, but they haven't considered what it's going to cost and they just pull out money and they start paying the contractors and you know what? They got a good foundation and all of a sudden it's like, uh, we ran out of money. You know, the only thing, the only people that actually do that is government agencies, which is why they're usually going in debt. We'll just print money. We'll, we'll make it up somewhere. I mean, we have to consider the actual cost. And what is it going to cost you as a Christian? Show of hands, anybody can remember back when they first got saved and all of a sudden it was like, shortly thereafter you realize, oh, wait a second, to be a Christian, I can't do that thing that I like to do and I can't say what I used to say and I can't behave that way. And all of a sudden you're thinking, well, maybe I don't want to be a Christian. I'm not the only one, right? Because I'm going to say, I, I know I did that. I was like, man, this is hard. It's hard to change my speech. I spent so much time running away from God. It, it just, it just, my dialect became an art form to insult people in the most creative ways I could think of. God, you took that away from me. And all of a sudden I start reading the Bible and I find out that God actually come, sometimes insults people even more creatively. Like, ooh. 
this might be fun after all. <laughs> it's going to cost us things. Yes, there are things that we used to do we can't do anymore. Yes, you may not be able to have a relationship with certain people. Yes, you may need to stop looking at things on the internet and on TV. Yes, you may need to behave a certain way. Yes, you may need to let people pull one over on you and put yourself beneath them. But that's what it costs. And we have to weigh that cost. See, weighing that cost then comes to realize, just like the king that's sitting there and he's like, I've only got 10,000. Can I actually defeat this other king that has 20,000? Well, I guess if God's got my back, I can. Or maybe we do want peace. You have to count it. You have to count the cost. And see, fortunately for us here today, we have this thing called the Bible that gives us so much instruction, gives us so much wisdom in here. But when we actually look at what it says, we can start to see that there have been other men and women throughout the Bible that they have had to count the cost and they have chose to forsake everything. One of the greatest examples of that is Abraham. In Abraham, Genesis 1, or Genesis 12, verse 1 and 2, it says, Now it came to pass after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, Abraham says, Here I am. Then he says, now take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I'll tell you. He's like, I'm not even going to tell you which one it is now because you may go on a different path. But if you want to follow me, you just start going. And once you get there, then I'm going to show you where it's at. I'm going to show you what you're actually going to have to do. But here's the cost. You're going to have to offer up your son as a sacrifice. You're going to have to offer your son as a sacrifice. And I know there's so many of us thinking, well, why would God do that? Why would he possibly? God wants to know what Abraham is made of. And there are things in our lives that each of us are going to have to sacrifice and give up. And why would we have to do that? Because God wants to know what we're made of. He wants to know if we've actually counted the cost and if we actually love him like we say we love him. Because love is not just a bunch of words that we speak. Love is the actions and behavior that we have. So what are we going to do? Are we really going to love him? I mean, Jesus, Jesus reminded of this in Mark chapter 8. He's like, whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Will save it. Are you actually willing to do that or not? You see, our willingness to forsake everything and follow Jesus does not just affect us individually, but it affects our entire family. As, as a husband, I'm supposed to set the tone. I'm supposed to set the tone. My wife and my kids have seen me go through that where it's like, okay, everything that I have worked for is right here, but it's pitting me up against God. And I've got family members and friends that saying I'm an idiot if I give this up for God. What am I going to do? I don't forsake God. I forsake everything else. Because I've seen men and women in the Bible do that exact same thing. And yeah, some of them lost their lives for it. <laughs> But that was a temporary thing. 
It's in this temporary world. I'm also reminded of what Jesus goes on and says there in Luke. He doesn't just end with verse 33. Look at what he says in verse 34 and 35 of Luke chapter 14. He's like, salt is good. Let's just stop right there. Y'all know that salt is good, right? Anybody like salt? I love salt. I, I, I love salt. It's like, I, I like going to a movies. We haven't gone for a long time. And, and you know, I, I do the ketogenic diet, which means like no carbs. But man, we go to the movie theater. You know I'm getting popcorn. I'm getting movie buttered popcorn. And you... You do not reach in and grab one little piece. No, you stick a handful in, you come and you start chewing it and it falls out. Anybody here, like just grab one piece of popcorn at a time? I'm going to say, because if anybody grabs one, if you do, you're strange and you're weird. I mean, that's just, weird people do that. No, you grab a handful and you start eating. Okay, maybe three or four if you're trying to stay clean and, and decent. But no, me, I grab a handful and then I got all that buttery oil on it and it's like, Wiping on these jeans. I don't have to clean them. Yeah. <laughs> but you ever been to like grab some popcorn and all of a sudden you take it and it has no salt on it? Yes. And it's just like, ew. <laughs> That's nasty. What did you do with that thing? How could you not have salted it? Popcorn that hasn't been salted is gross and disgusting. Jesus is saying that salt is good. But if the salt has lost its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? And then he says, it's neither fit for the land nor for the dunghill. If you are called to be salty, be as salty as you can be. Because if you've been called to be the salt of the world that brings out the God flavors that we see, and all of a sudden you have lost your flavor, you ain't worthy to be sprinkled on poop. That's what Jesus is saying. He's like... Poop is too good to have you sprinkled on it. We're just going to throw you away. And all of a sudden, if we have not considered the cost and we want to try to follow him, but we don't have any of those God flavors of actually following him, and here's where the God flavors come in. Yes, God asked Abraham to give up his only son. But do you remember what God himself did? He gave up his only son. God will never ask you to do something that he is not willing to do himself. And he proved that with Abraham. He proved that. You see, we have got to understand that the cost may be our entire life. The cost for us to follow God means that maybe we're going to have family members that will hate us back. And they'll hate us in a new way because they want to be our God. And we say, no, I only have one God. And because of that, they don't want to talk to us. They don't want to see us. They've essentially written us out of their lives. I want nothing to do with you. Don't you ever speak to me again. That may be the cost. That may be the price that you have to pay. But we're to consider what it costs. We're to consider that price. Because there's a process and there's a price. And we have to understand that. We have to understand, if we're really going to put God first, this is what it costs. This is the price that we have to pay. God comes first. And in our families, that means, no, my wife is not first. She is not my number one. She is my number two. God is my number one. We used to do that all the time just to remind each other, you're my number two. 
And man, when people that didn't know what we were talking about heard us say that, they thought we were strange. What do you mean she's number two? She should be your number one. Uh-uh. God's my number one. God's my number one. And so if my wife wants something and all of a sudden that puts me in a compromising position with God, no. Sorry, honey. Ain't going to happen. And if my kids want to do this and want to do that, but God's been calling me to do something else, sorry, kids. You're not that important to me. And we can sit there and we can think, oh, that sounds harsh and it sounds hard if we tell people that. (laughs) Think about what you're saying to God when you do that. You're saying, oh, God, you're really not that important. I mean, I can put my children before you, right? I mean, you gave me the children after all. No. We should love God more than everything because God loved us more than everything. John says that God so loved you, me, the entire world, that he gave his only son And his son actually died for us. But when we go back to Genesis and we see what happened with Abraham's story, Genesis 12 or 22 verse 12, angel appears to Abraham, says, don't lay your hand on the ladder, do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son from me. Abraham lifts his eyes, looked behind him. There was a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. Abraham went and took the ram, offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mountain of the Lord, it shall be provided. Then the angel called the, uh, the angel of the Lord called Abraham by a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing, you have not withheld your son, your only son, Blessing, I will bless you, and multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven, the sand which is on the seashore. Your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed, all of the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. You see, Abraham knew what the process was it's obey God, it's trust God, it's put God first. It's follow him. Don't do what I think is best. Do what he says. Because I don't know what I don't know, but God knows everything. And he understood that. And so he followed him. And he knew the price that it was going to cost. The price was going to be him offering up his only son to put him on a sacrifice. And with knife in hand, ready to sacrifice his son, the angel of the Lord appears to him and says, Stop. Now I know that you fear me. Now I know that you love me. Now I know that you respect me above everything else. You see, we should not only be considering the process and we should be considering the price, but we need to consider the prize. Okay, so it's going to cost me maybe even my life, but what's the worth? Is it, is it really worth it? Is it really worth it? I would say, yeah. I mean, because think about this. If, if we spend all of this time on, on the Facebooks and the Instagram and the Twitters and the Snapchats and the TikToks, 
regardless of a ban and checking our email and, and watching TV and, and going to movies and, and sporting events and activities and, and spending all this time with our family. And we've done all of these things and we've neglected God in all of that. And then we leave this earth and we're placed in the hole in the ground. What do we have to show for it besides that hole in the ground? You can't take that time on Facebook away with you. You can't take the movies you've watched with you. You can't take your hobbies with you. You can't take your family with you. So all we're left with is a hole in the ground. Because that's what our priority was. That's what our goal was. It was spending all of this time on this life here on earth. And we got our reward. But the prize for following God, the prize for putting Him first, is so much greater than that hole in the ground. 2 Timothy 4, the Apostle Paul says this to, to Timothy as he's leaving. He says, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. This is 2 Timothy 4, 6. I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the crown, and finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. You want to know what the, the prize is? We got this crown of righteousness laid up for us because we love him more than anything else and we're looking forward to him. But see, we're all in, as Christians, we're all in this, this rat race of life, running around. We're all fighting the same fight of faith. We're all doing it, but some of us are doing it better than others because some of us have the right order in things. Some of us have our priorities right. It's like the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9.24. He's like, don't you realize that in a race everybody runs, but only one person gets to win? So run to win. We got Christians that they ain't running to win. They're running just to say that I ran. Well, I'm just a Christian because I say that I'm a Christian. You want to look at me and say, well, how are you being a Christian? Oh, every day I become more like Christ than the day before. I'm striving to run and win this race. I'm going to beat you all to the finish line. This is, this is one race that I think I can actually win. And I'm doing it. And I'm running. And that should light a fire in you that wants to beat me. Come on, bring it. Bring it. Try to beat me in this race. Run to win don't, don't just run to say you run. Don't just say, oh, I'm a Christian because I say I'm a Christian and it's the, it's the Christian thing to do. <laughs> no. Actually try to be the best Christian there ever was. See, I don't want to just be here on this earth quoting and talking about, you know, the Abrahams and the, the Jesuses and the Lukes and the Pauls. No, I want to be in heaven and all of a sudden they're like, Josh, we saw what you did. Man, I thought my race was strong. That race was amazing. I can't believe you stood up for Christ the way you did. 
You see, I want all of heaven talking about me because I'm glorifying the one that sent me. I want the whole world to sit there and not just, not just see me, but see Jesus in me. I want my family to see Jesus in me. Because I realize that when I get these priorities right, when I'm putting Jesus first, everything else starts to fall in place. And all of a sudden, I've got enough left over. Enough left over so I'm not spread so thin that all of a sudden I'm like, rest? What's rest? I'm, I'm supposed to rest? How do I rest? I, I, don't, I don't have time to rest. I'm busy doing all these things. I, I'm already spread so thin. Why am I spread so thin? Because I'm doing it wrong. When you start to do it right, all of a sudden you got rest. And see, I go through these moments. I haven't perfected this by any means. But I go through these moments, and now's one of them where I'm, I'm reevaluating my priorities and my structure and, and how I'm doing things. And, and I'm starting with prayer because prayer's like the first way to start with getting your priorities right. All right, God, I, I'm me, not anybody else. So you've called me to something special, something specific. How do you want me to prioritize? I know I've got to get you first. What does that look like? And then what's next? And how does all of this go? And when I've done that, I, I get other pastors that are looking at me and they're like, how do you do everything that you do? How do you do it all? And part of it is I sit there and I show that stuff online. And I show what my life is. I remember Pastor Colleen watching one of my vlogs. Figured out how to hop on YouTube and she watches this weekly vlog and she's like, I had no idea that you're doing that much. I'm like, I didn't know I was doing that much either. And then I get other pastors that are trying to do exactly what I'm doing and they're like, I can't do it. I'm like, well, don't do what I'm doing. Do what you're supposed to be doing. And then just make sure you start it off right. Ask God how to get those priorities in place. You see, without them, poor priorities are going to produce problems and our families are going to suffer because of that. Our families are going to be struggling because of that. Because dysfunctional families do not put God first. And so we need to put God first. And for the family of Christ, for the body of Christ to start operating, to start functioning the way that he's called us, we all have to start putting God first. And so we need to remember here in this church, when we come, it doesn't matter if we're running around and we're off schedule and it doesn't matter if things have to change up. The thing that matters is, are we putting God first? And are we here for Him? Are we here to worship Him? Are we here to glorify Him? Are we here to lift Him up? Or are we here to just feel good? Quite frankly, I hope that this message doesn't make you feel good. I hope this message is a kick in the pants. And not just a kick in the pants for you, but a kick in the pants for others that are sitting there looking to you and they're like, you know what, I got some things going on in my family. What would you suggest? Put God first. That's what I suggest. Get your priorities straight. If we do that, these families are no longer dysfunctional, but they're highly functional. These families no longer have problems. These families are just going to find success. 
these families are going to find blessing, like Abraham found blessing when the priorities were in the right place. Let's pray.